Hey, you're listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast. If you want to learn more about the church, including upcoming service times in both our Cincinnati, Ohio, and Florence, Kentucky locations, visit us online at sevenhillschurch.tv. We hope this message helps you win the day. Mark chapter 5, verse 22. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, fell at his feet, and pleaded earnestly with him, saying, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her, that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. I like that. Jesus said, Okay, let's go take care of it. Let's drop down to verse number 35. I'll fill in the gaps in a minute. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and said, Your daughter is dead. And then they said, why bother the teacher or the master anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him there except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion with all the people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. Some translations say they scorned him and laughed at him. After he put them all out, how I many of y'all can appreciate that Jesus don't play when it comes to the miracle that you need in your life? He put them all out, took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders to not let anyone know about this and told them to now give her something to eat. Verse 36. I want us to go back to that. It's where the thought is going to primarily uh, hang on today. That'll be the nail in the wall, the anchor that we work through here. It says, do not be afraid, just believe. The Amplified says, they overheard but ignored what they said. The Message Bible said, don't listen to them, just trust me. The Godspeed translation, which is my favorite, it says, but Jesus paid no attention to what they said. But Jesus paid no attention, huh? But Jesus paid no attention to what they said. I want to talk to you about that. The art of not paying attention. Now, I think we could all agree that it's important to pay attention. I think we could all look at problems, tragedy, mistakes, failures, sin, missteps, and say it's because we weren't paying it paying attention. When I was in school, um, my teachers would always be asking that question. Marcus, huh? You paying attention? The answer was always the same. No, I was not paying attention. And you can tell now that I should have paid attention. Come on. When I'm up here talking, you're like, he should have paid attention. distractions all around us, all kinds of things trying to pull us off course. It is important to pay attention, but it's equally important that we learn the fine art of when to not 
pay attention. In this story, Jesus has all kinds of competing voices clamoring for his attention. He's got the multitudes in the story that are pressing in around him and they've all got their requests and their demands and their needs. The hurting are there. The sick are present. In this particular story, there's a woman that's got an issue of blood that she's gone to doctors to get fixed. She's, she's been dealing with this issue for 12 years, exhausted all of her resources. She's present. She has needs. The disciples are looking for, for insight and instruction concerning how to handle all the different things that are happening. And they're confused because it's a complicated setting that they're working through and they're wanting Jesus to clear up. What do you, how do you want us to handle this or that the sick are present? There's critics that are entering the scene. Of course, there's enemies that are always present that are plotting against how they can really take the life of Jesus. And so this is a setting that Jesus had to have this skill set that we're talking about today, the ability to not pay attention, to know when it's important. Yes, it's important that you pay attention. Yes, it's important that, 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 that you stay focused. But there are times when you have to know that, that there is also a skill set of saying, I am not paying attention to that. In this story, Jairus, the Bible says, is the ruler of a synagogue. So he is an important man. He is a man that people come to for answers, for counsel, and for wisdom. They come to him when they're searching. And so Jairus is an important man. It also says that his, he's a father, and he's a father that's in the fight of his life for his daughter. That his daughter is on her deathbed, which lets us know that you can be in church. You can be important. You can even do great things for God. And it doesn't exempt you from the tragedies of life. And so Jairus is not only a ruler, he is a father. He is a good man, an important man. But now we see him as a desperate man. His daughter at the age of 12 years old is deathly ill. She is on her deathbed. She does not have long to live. And this time he's the one that needs to seek and search out someone that can help him. And because he knows Jesus is nearby, he reaches out and asks Jesus, explain the situation, explain that they've tried to get doctors to come in and help. They've tried to, to get others that would come and help fix the situation, but all have concluded the same thing. She's at the end of her life. The sickness that, that has affected her body is, is robbing her of, of her life. And he begs Jesus to come and help. Like any father would, he's begging Jesus, would you come and help me with this situation? Jesus agrees to go. And as they're on their journey, To Jairus's daughter, the crowd is pressing in. There's other needs that are present. And the miracle that Jairus is hoping for 
is interrupted by other needs and other miracles that are standing in between him and his miracle. And in his mind, the time frame isn't going to work out. This is an urgent need. This is an immediate need. This is, we got to get to it quickly, but the crowd won't let them get to it. And the woman with the issue of blood, who's touched the hem of Jesus's garment, won't let them get to it. And so this teaches us that, that, that here's a man who is desperately trying to get to his daughter. This is not a monotone scene that I'm trying to help paint the picture for you. This isn't like, so, Hey, Jesus, I was thinking, you know, maybe if you had a few minutes, my daughter, you know, happens, she's dying. I don't know. You want to come and maybe check her out, see what you can do. It's not, it's the woman with the issue of blood. like, Hey, Jesus, you know, had this issue and I don't know, maybe if I touch your garment or something, I don't know. Like, is there some like magical, that's not what's happening here. These, these are not, this is not a static situation. This is, is a feverish scene filled with panic. You have a father whose daughter is dying. You have a woman who cannot get better and she's, she has no more resources. She's broke, which in my mind, it doesn't include this, but she's exhausted all of her resources. She's homeless. She's lost everything because of this sickness. You've got the demanding disciples. You've got the pressing needs of the crowd. All of these things are pushing in on Jesus and they all want him to solve their problem. And it's not like Jesus is prioritizing miracles saying this one's more important than that one. And well, I would get to you, but that's not as important. He's not punishing people by not getting to the miracle, but he's got limitations because of his earthly body. He can only be at one place at one time. And we would know that the purpose of these limitations that he, as God has imposed upon himself was for us. We would know that one of the reasons he became flesh and dwelt among us is the Bible says, so he could live a sinless life. And he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, this is the one who knew no sin took on our sin. He took on our punishment. And the goal of that was that we could become the righteousness of God. The reason Jesus showed up on the planet was so he could pay the price for our sin. So through his death and the blood that he shed, that sinless, spotless blood that he shed and gave his life for now would become an atonement for us. And so when God looks at us, God doesn't see us. He doesn't see our sin, right? There's something in between us and, and God. And that is the atonement, the covering, the blood of Jesus. So when God looks at us, he don't see Marcus, he sees Jesus. So through Jesus showing up, he took on an earthly body so he could be like us, so he could live 
this life, being tempted in every way like us. And he took on my sin and he gave his life for my sin. So when God looks at me, looks at you, he sees you as a joint heir with Christ. In other words, the same way he saw Jesus is the same way he sees you. He sees you as a son or a daughter of God. There is no difference in how the father views you and how he viewed his own son that died for you. That's the gift of salvation. It's a crazy, unexplainable, over the top, should have never happened. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. And we have this right standing with God, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done. Right? It's all grace or no grace. It's not 99% God and 1% you. It's all grace or none. He covered us. It's one reason he came. But the second reason he came and he took on a body so he could be an example, a model for us. So we could see what kind of life he was calling us into. So we could see what kind of life is possible for us. So he could walk us through the kind of life when he says, follow me, he's inviting us into. Jesus showed up so he can, could tell us the same works I did do, greater works shall you do. Now, this is not come to church, listen to sermons, spectate, and watch. That's not what Jesus invites us into. That's not the gospel. The gospel is an invitation to get out of the seat, to get out of spectating, and get on the field He was an example for us. He wanted us to know that there's an invitation to follow him. The invitation that he gave us was so when we read the scriptures, when we hear the scriptures, we didn't just, we wouldn't just ooh and awe over what God can do. We would be inspired by what he did and say, he said, I can do that too. That's the point of him taking on the body so he could say, Hey, I was limited like you too. But then you say, and I say, but yeah, you were God. And he says, I know. So that's why when I ascended to the right hand of the father, I told you that you had to go wait and tarry. And I sent the Holy Spirit that would come, right? And the Bible says it's the same Spirit. Listen to it. Listen to it. It's the same. I know this is a lot for us for a minute, but just take, hold on. It's the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead that now lives on the inside of you. The exact same God. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a similar. It's not a. It's not a watered down form. It's not like some reduced, shrunk down, maybe kind of like what Jesus had. No, what he had, you have. That's the example. We have limits because we've got bodies. We've got limits. And Jesus had limits too. And the limits he imposed upon himself so he could be our example. But I'm saying all of this to say, if you're imagining the scene, Imagine for a moment that it appears like Jesus is under incredible pressure. He's got 
the demand to perform at a high level. And in the middle of all that we've discussed, a group of people show up and call out to Jairus and they give him the worst news any father could ever hear. And they begin to tell him why you were out on this wild goose chase trying to see what this Jesus guy could do. Your daughter was afraid, dying, talked to the mom and talked to the family, but was asking, where is my daddy at? And you were not there. Jairus, your daughter is dead. Jairus, your daughter is gone. If that's not enough, as people only can, and as people usually do, they add to the grieving, they add to the trauma by telling Jairus why would you trouble the master? Why would you trouble the master? So to go off script, I want to talk to you a little bit about grieving. I have no idea how this is going to come across, but grieving at this level is complicated. And people have a tendency to have this attitude at the worst time, like you should just get on with it. Even in our sermons, including mine, come on, just move on. Don't let that stop you. There's life to live. There, there's mountains to climb. There's a future. Okay, fine. Yeah, I know it's bad. I know it hurts, but just it's time to get on with it. But that's not how grieving works. Grieving is complicated. And grieving sometimes is, is so complicated and so there's so much sadness and there's so much loss and there's so much pain. The general tendency of people is to move away. And the reason they move away is because it's just a lot of trouble in all of that grieving. It's complicated. A lot of drama, uh, a, a, a lot of humanity. This is a very messy, very uh, unpredictable, emotional thing that people go through, mental thing they go through. That's, that's grieving. And when you're grieving, you also feel many times like you're just too much trouble, right? It's just too much pain. It's too much loss. People can't possibly understand. And so not only do do you watch as people pull away, you have a tendency to pull away. And sometimes in the middle of it, you're looking at who you were before the loss and how happy that person was and how faith filled they were, how courageous they were. And that was the time. And those were the good days. And and you don't even really recognize that person anymore. Maybe you don't recognize who this person that's grieving is. And as you're going through the grieving, you even feel about yourself like, man, I just feel like I'm just too much trouble. Because you're usually not proud 
of how you're responding daily when you're grieving. You're usually not proud of the things that you say when you're grieving. You're usually not proud of the ways you're trying to get through the grieving. You're not feeling spiritual. You usually don't feel close to God in grieving. There's, there's a lot of, of mixed emotions and bitterness towards others and yourself and God. That is grieving. And the tendency is just to feel like it's just all too much trouble. But you are never too much trouble for the master. There is never a time when you are too much trouble. He gets that it's complicated. He gets that you're just trying to get through. He gets that it's messy. He, he gets that, that, that you don't know how you're going to get out of it. He, he gets that, that, that you're in a place where you're just trying to find a way to make it to another day, to take another step. And he's not troubled. He's not a God that pulls back. He's not a God that is troubled by any situation or any person's life. And I say that because the only thing the father had left was hope that maybe God would be able to pull close in this time. And the general response of people was, you're too much trouble for even God. However you've done it, whatever you've done, whatever your responses have been, it's just not only are we pulling away, but God's pulling away. But I love what Jesus does. And I love what Jesus says, because it's never what you expect him to. The Bible says, Jesus said, pay no attention to what they say. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. I get it. I get it. Jesus. I understand. Thanks for trying. I mean, appreciate that you're willing to come and see if you could do something, you know, thanks for at least, at least showing some, some level of concern, some level of empathy. Thank you. Jairus. Jairus. Pay no attention to what they say. And this miracle never happens without developing this skill. Jesus is being very clear in the midst of this miracle. There's an important skill set you have to develop. You're no different than Jairus. We're facing things all the time where we talk ourselves out of the miracle and other people talk us out of the miracle because we do not know the art of not paying attention. So quickly, we'll go through a few things quickly. Every quest, number one, every quest will have its protest. So anytime there's a quest for to do something great for God, a dream for God, it could be your family. It could be um, a calling. It could be a business. It could just even be your personal life. It, but you're on a quest to get your mind right, to get your life right, to get your priorities right. There is always going to be someone along the way that's carrying some protest for why you can't and why you shouldn't. For Nehemiah, he's building the wall of Jerusalem and Sanballat comes along and begins to 
mock Nehemiah as he's building the wall. And he says to him, how can you believe? Do you really think revival can come from a pile of trash? And Nehemiah is there building a wall that's supposed to be able to stand in a way that keeps enemies out. And he's using the rubble that he has available to, to build it. And he's hearing this person say, do you really think revival can come from that pile of trash? That sand ballot mindset and spirit is something that works on us all. Is it not? You really think, you know how many times I could introduce you to a long line of people and, and I could tell you their first name and their last name. And I could tell you, uh, their opinion about Marcus. Do you really think revival can come from the pile of trash? That is your life. That is who you are. That is where you're from. That makes up who you are. I, I could introduce one after another, after another. And the truth is I'm picking up this little piece of rubble and this little broken piece. And I'm just trying to say, God, I'm just trying to build something for you. And, and, and then the people that are there are there saying, do you really think revival? Every person in this room has things where the, the, the marriage is rubble. It's trash. The, the, the kids are rubble. It's trash. Your, your soul life is rubble. It's trash. You keep messing up and you keep doing dumb things and you can't get over addictions and it's rubble and it's trash. But the problem is not that as much as it's that there's the voices that always are there saying, do you really think anything great, anything noble, anything godly can come out of the trash that makes up your life? And that's what the voices are sent to do. They're sent to get you to question what God can do in your life. It'll be questions that come from your past, questions that arise from the failures in your life, worries and unbelief and doubt, voices that are calling you to just settle into the status quo and the mediocre and to the easy side of life, cynical voices that say it can't, it won't. It's impossible. It will never happen. Every quest will have its protest. Number two, Jairus teaches us that listening is dangerous. If you listen to the wrong voices, you'll give up too early. If you listen to the wrong people, you'll leave the vision and the dream. James one and verse eight says a double-minded man is unstable. Listen to this voice and you listen to that voice. It's dangerous is what James is saying. Man said one time, I left that church because the devil's in that church. And one of the saints responded, he might have had your seat because I never see you in it. Part of the miracle that we see here is this small detail. You have to learn there are some voices that are dangerous. And if you listen to them, trouble not the master. There's a lot of facts to what they're saying. She's dead. That's a fact. It's not their thoughts. She has no pulse. She's gone. She's dead. It's permanent. It can't change. It is what it is. But verse 40 teaches us how you recognize a dangerous voice. It says they laughed and they scorned. So The issue wasn't their information. Their issue wasn't that they had a thought that they expressed even what maybe is a fact. 
What makes how you identify a wrong voice is not based on information alone. It's based on attitude. They laughed and they scorned. It wasn't the information they shared. It was the attitude in which they shared it. It was filled with ego and mockery and scorn. So how do you know if it's a dangerous voice? How do you know? Same facts can be shared, but the attitude, humility, concern, kindness, genuine desire to understand, empathetic. Are you here? It's not the facts. She is dead. It was the spirit in which they approached it, scorned and laughed, made fun of the father for continuing to believe God made fun of Jesus for, for just saying, Hey, there's more to this. Let's not give up and let's not quit too easy. But the voices were dangerous, not because of what they said, but the spirit in which they said it, it was to pull the father away from his daughter and pull the father away from his home and pull the father away from Christ and the future and the miracle that God was calling him to. And the way you know that voices are dangerous is because they're just kind of filled with self-righteousness. Why are you troubling God with all that? Why are you troubling those people? And it's filled with ego. Again, we're not just talking about the tone of it. We're talking about the fruit that they want from it is they're trying to pull this man away from what God is calling him to. Can I just take a minute and ask you the question? What have you heard them say? What kind of dangerous voices are you listening to? It's your family's future. It's the miracle that you ask him for. And I love Jesus because his advice would be you better learn not because the preacher's saying it because Jesus is saying Jairus pay no attention to what they say. Number three, it's spiritual to ignore some people. It's spiritual to ignore some people. This is a key to thriving spiritually. Do what the Lord did. Are you ignoring me right now? Yeah, absolutely. Because think about it. Jesus was invited by Jairus to come to his house. And if he listened to the dangerous voices, then Jairus could have easily said to Jesus, I don't think that there's any reason for you to continue with me. So the same man that invited Jesus could have uninvited him. So how many times have you let 
someone talk you out of the miracle you asked God for. In Romans chapter four, verse 19, it tells us clearly that God gives Abraham a promise, but Sarah is a hundred years old. There's no way that she could ever get pregnant with a child, but Abraham did not listen to the facts. He chose to be fully persuaded and believe that God could do it. And he realized the promise, not because he focused on the facts, but he focused on what God said. It is spiritual to ignore some people. Number four, ignoring isn't passive aggressive. Jesus threw them out of the house. Man, we don't like to talk about this Jesus. But if you see the fruit of it, the most compassionate thing he could do was remove the dangerous voices because there was a 12-year-old girl that needed life. There are critical moments in every person's life. You face tragedy, but your response will set the course to success or continued misfortune. And one of the greatest parts of this miracle is Jesus throws them out. Sometimes you have to aggressively decide I'm done listening and you're done talking. You don't have to voice it. You don't have to tell somebody. I'm not listening to you no more. It's a boundary you set in your heart. You will never have a voice in my life again because you're really not caring about the impact and the danger by which you're trying to speak into my home, speak into my family, speak into my destiny, speak into my future. You will never have a voice in my life again. One of the greatest keys to this miracle was the fine art of not paying attention. What kind of peace is the enemy disrupting in your home? What kind of short-term battle is trying to speak to you about long-term abandonment? Jesus brings the clear message that all hope is rooted not an escape, but engagement. Jesus makes it clear that his call is not evacuation, but it's reclamation. It's not leaving, it's staying, it's fighting, it's making a decision. We are going to overcome this thing that's attacking our home or our dream. And you say, but Marcus, you don't understand the things that I'm dealing with. I would say there's two things to this miracle, two things quickly. One of them is what God can do. The second one is what part is what you can do. The Bible says Jesus took her by the hand. When my girls were younger and I would want to 
provide direction or protection, I would grab them by their hand. If we were in a public place or maybe we're entering a riskier environment in order to guide them and protect them, I would grab their hand. I could stop them. I could move them by holding their hand. But as they got older, they would go places my hand couldn't reach. And I had to learn that when they aren't in my hand, I have to trust that they're in his hand. I don't know the things that they're going to face. I don't know the situations they're going to face and I won't be there, but I have to trust they're in his hands. I have to trust he's got them. I have to believe that he can guide and he can protect even when I can't. The second thing, the second thing that we see is what we can do. And Jesus tells the father, I want you to give her something to eat. I want you to love the situation, nurture it. I want you to feed it. I want you to do what you can do for it. And when you come to the end, I've got what can't come from your hand. It's going to come from my hand. And I say to some gyruses that are here, to some people that just need to hear God's at work in the situation. God's at work in your life. God's at work in your home. God's at work and the things you can't control and you don't understand they're in his hands and the things you can, you feed those, you nurture those, you give your best to those and the things that you, you, you can't figure out and they're beyond you. That's what God needs to hand. That's, that's what's in his hand and the things which you can, that's, that's what you grab a hold of. And that's what you guide. That's what you protect. That's what you feed. And I love the fact that Jesus raised this little girl up. And I love the fact that the key to that miracle was the father learning. I'm not paying attention to every voice out there. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you want to experience daily content, messages, and inspiration, go ahead and sign up for Daily Bread with PM by visiting sevenhillschurch.tv slash dbpm. Thanks for listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast.